0: Good morning, Village Church. Good to see you this morning. Merry Christmas. Uh, my name is Craig Jarvis. I am the pastor of the brand new church plant that will be beginning in 2017. Actually, we've already started services and uh, we're, we're uh, getting all of our ducks in a row, so we'll hit the ground running in 2017, and we're excited about that. You'll get more information on that tonight at the business, or at the uh, congregational meeting, so uh, if you can be there, you'll love that. No business, it's all fun. All right. Uh, all right. <laughs> I am I am honored to be able to bring to you the fourth Sunday of Advent and uh, to be able to speak to you on this on this very special day. Uh, today I want to talk about something a little bit uh, different, uh, maybe than we're used to at Christmas time. I want to talk about um, this journey of Advent as we as we make our way to the manger of Jesus Christ as we as we take this journey every single year we get to examine different aspects of what happened, what the events were that brought about the birth of Jesus Christ. It's almost as if we're being invited in a very intimate way to, 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 to sneak up to this manger and peer over the shoulders of confused parents and bewildered shepherds and, and uh, silent angels, and we begin to look over their shoulders and see this baby in the manger that, that is the Savior of the world. We get, to, uh, we get to find every single year a brand new hope, a hope that is centered not in the things that happen around us, not in the things that happen politically, not in the things that happen around our, our families, but we get to find our hope and to refigure our hope where it should be, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. We get to find out that there's a hope in a hopeless world where wars rage and where families still fall apart and where political structures crumble and where uh, cities get bombed. and, and And we think to ourselves, is there any hope in this world? We get to take this journey every single Christmas time, every Advent season, and we get to journey up to this little place where we are reminded again, God gave gave this world, this bewildered, hopeless world, hope. Today we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph and finding out how sometimes the hope that God gives us surprises us. How it's something that we never could have planned for, that we never could have, in in our five years' goals, never could have hoped for certain things that would happen that are in God's plan, but they may not be in ours And sometimes we will find out that that hope that God gives us actually surprises us. So let me begin by asking you a simple question. Have you ever been surprised by what God brings to you? (laughs) Yeah, every person in the congregation goes, yeah, I, I think that happened just yesterday, as a matter of fact. Have you ever had your heart set on something, but God wrapped up something completely different for you and gave it to you? And here's the key. Have you ever discovered that that thing that God gives you actually meant more to you than you could have hoped for? This is the story of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. He had plans for his life. He had good plans for his life. He was an honorable man in society. He had built a life planning out who he would be in his village, in his neighborhood, in his culture, And all of that would change in a matter of an evening. God intervenes and reveals to him that he has different plans for his life. And what he had planned for Joseph never showed up on Joseph's radar. So what I want to talk to you first about is where we should all start. And that is not God's plans, but my plans. Because this is where we typically start. What do I want for my future? What do I hope that my life will be like in five years or 10 years? What am I building a life to to look like over the next few years? Jesus' earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, both had plans for their lives. Just like everybody in here has plans for their lives, they did too. Everything for them would change. And so Luke, his version of of, of God coming to us in the form of Jesus Christ, Luke highlights Mary. And if you read the story of Jesus' birth in Luke, you will find the story of Mary, who she was and how God chose her and and used her to bring about the birth of Jesus Christ. But when you get to Matthew, you start studying about not Mary, but Joseph. Joseph is highlighted in the book of Matthew. He, like Mary, is chosen for a specific purpose, for a specific reason that he would have never guessed on his own. Joseph's plans were to build a name for himself, to build character for himself. And unlike last week, Joseph was not misaligned with God. As Pastor Tim reminded us last week, sometimes we need a tweak or two. We hit those potholes and we have to be redirected in, in, in a line that God would want for our lives. Joseph was not that individual. Joseph was a godly man. Joseph was right on line with God. He was the kind of guy that most of us would want to be like. In fact, let me show you how great Joseph was. Matthew chapter 1. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Here's where we have the story begins. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Do you see how many times Joseph's character is highlighted here? It's incredible. Joseph and Mary would have been engaged. We call it the engagement period. It was more than that. It was a betrothal period in this day. They would have been like husband and wife for a year before they actually consummated their marriage. So they had to act like husband and wife except no physical relationship for one year. This was the year where Mary was found to be pregnant. Joseph was supposed to take Mary to be his wife at the end of this year, and during this time, Mary is found to be pregnant. Now, guys, if this were you, how would you respond? You'd respond like every other guy around you would be going, what do you mean you're pregnant? Joseph was the kind of guy that would not... Would not um, uh, jeopardized this betrothal period by having a physical relationship with Mary. He was an upright, honorable man. He did everything right. In fact, during this betrothal period that lasted a year, he kept himself pure. He had, to, uh, he had treated Mary with great respect. There was no physical relationship. The Bible makes that clear because it says before they came together. Before they had any physical relationship, Mary was found to be with child." He had lived a pure relationship with God. He had kept himself for Mary. He was not only that, but look in the Bible. And her husband, Joseph, just in case you missed it, the Bible makes sure that we know, being a what church? A, wow. Wouldn't you like for God to call you a just individual? Joseph was that. He was a just man, according to God. And he was not willing to hurt Mary's reputation. What a guy. Mary comes to him and says, so Joseph, I kinda, I'm pregnant, and uh, I don't know how it happened. Yeah, all right, so we giggle. I don't know what his response was at the time, but it had to be like something. I don't know if it was giggling, if it was like his heart went into his, his feet. I don't know what happened. All I know is at that point of time, his world began to fall apart. All of these years, he had lived an honorable life, kept himself for this woman he's supposed to be for and her for him. And now she comes to him with a story that she's pregnant, but she doesn't know how it happened. And so he decides that he wants to keep her honorable too. He could have went down to the village square. He could have said, listen, I just want everybody to know that you see my wife, she's beginning to show now. We're not supposed to have a physical relationship for a year. And I just want everybody to know that's not my fault. So I'd like to clear that up right now and I'd like to go on with my life. He could have done that. Mary would have been ousted from society. She likely would have never been married because nobody would marry a loose woman. And and Joseph himself, though, would have kept his honor. He would have kept his upright reputation. But instead of doing that, he resolved to divorce her quietly, to not make a big deal out of this and not even sometimes put her life in jeopardy because to commit premarital uh, uh, sex, a sex relationship before you're married would have been breaking the law. And you know this to be true because in Jesus' day, the woman that was found in adultery was brought into the town square and they were going to stone her. Joseph decides he's not going to put Mary to shame for his own benefit. And so he resolves to divorce her quietly. How many guys would like to be, how many of you women would like to have a guy like this? believes you when you tell him the story and decides to do what it takes to keep his reputation and not harm you in the process. Joseph had planned ahead. He took opportunities to grow and make a name for himself in life. But the lesson we get from Joseph is that sometimes our plans, the plans that we lay out for five years, 10 years, 20 years, are not always God's plans. When God gets a hold of us, it's likely that, quite frankly, our lives will not turn out like they're supposed to in our plans almost every, every time. Joseph's world was turned upside down. Here's, here's the options. If he marries Mary, I'm going to say that a lot today, So just so you know. If he marries Mary, he's going to be known as the guy who married the loose woman, That's not an upstanding reputation. And if he marries Mary, he's going to be known as the guy that couldn't control himself before marriage. There goes his reputation. He cannot win. Either way, he lived in a culture at the time. It's not like today. It's not like today where it's celebrated that we have a sexual relationship outside of marriage. It's not like today at all. Back then, this would would stifle your outlook for life. either way, he would have a life-changing label. You know this because when Jesus began his earthly ministry, he visited the synagogue. One day when he visited the synagogue, one of the things that the, uh, that the elders did in the day is when you were growing up as a young man, they would honor you by giving you a scroll. And you could read it In synagogue. It's like being asked to come up here and maybe read the scripture for the day. It's a very honorable thing to do. Jesus walks into the synagogue and they hand him the scroll and he picks the passage from Isaiah. Do you know the story? a wonderful story. He picks this passage from Isaiah. He said, the lame will walk, the blind will see, uh, the deaf will hear, the dead will be raised to life. This is going to be an awesome time. It's a prophecy of what would happen when the Messiah would come. And then he rolls up the scroll and he gives it back to the attendant and he says, today this is fulfilled in your ears. It was a, it was a proclamation that his ministry would begin and he did it in the synagogue and he proclaimed it loud and clear and everybody heard it. And the next verse says, They all marveled because he spoke with such grace and eloquence, but they said to one another, they turned to one another and they said, Is this not Joseph's son? That was not a compliment. That was an admission. They didn't buy the whole pregnant by the Holy Spirit bit. This was them saying, Isn't this the bastard son of Joseph and Mary? Joseph would wear this reputation for the rest of his life, and yet this is the package God unwraps for Joseph. Joseph had spent a lifetime building an honorable character for himself, and God changes it in a heartbeat. Joseph responds to what, Jesus, or, or to what the Holy Spirit asks him to do, and he responds well. Let me ask you this question. In our view, in your view of how life happens, we have two choices. When life happens to us as it was happening to Joseph, as it was happening to Mary, they had two choices. The first is, life happens randomly to me and I have to adjust accordingly. The second is, life happens according to God's plan and he invites me to have a part in what he's doing. Two different ways that we can look about how we view life happening around us. Here's how you know know which one of those you are. When something happens, do you say, thank goodness that happened? Or, thank my lucky stars? Or do you go the route of saying, boy, the universe is being kind to me today? That always kind of makes me chuckle. But you got to thank somebody. you got to give the credit to somebody that some good things are happening. So thank your lucky stars. Or... Do you recognize that perhaps everything that happens is according to God's plan and he invites you to have a small part in what he's doing? What if God is putting together an incredible tapestry of life and he asks you to be a part of it? What if there were no such thing as chance? What if we actually saw life happening around us as God's providential, Arena where he works his perfect will and invites us in to be a part? And what if everything that you dreamed of for yourself was not his plan for you? That was the case for Mary, that was the case for Joseph, and that is the case with us as well. As much as we wanna think we're in control of everything that happens around us, let me just ask you this, how many things happen this way, th- this week according to plan? You ever watch the A-team? You, I love the A-team. You remember the guy that was in charge? What was his name? The guy with the white hair. Hannibal. Uh, Hannibal. And he always said, I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> yeah, all, all of us over 40 are going, yeah, the A-team. Yeah, everybody else is going, The what? No, I've never heard that before. The fact of the matter is the plans that we make rarely come together, but according to God, every plan works out for good. Let me give you a passage of Scripture that that lands so nicely in my heart when I think about this. It's in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9. As it is written, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, you could look at this passage of scripture and you could say to yourself, well, Craig, that's obviously talking about heaven. And I would say, yeah, that's a big part of it. But if you look at this in context, it's not talking about heaven. It's talking about life as it happens here and now. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no one can imagine what God has planned for those who love him. Joseph loved God and God changed Joseph's Vision for his future, Joseph's hopes for his future, he surprised him with something that he could have never planned for. And God's purposes for us will often blow us away. Now, You may be thinking to yourself, okay, Craig, well, I can buy into that a little bit, but are you saying that everything does? Let me just say, yeah, everything does. And here's how I know that to be the case because there's one verse that we quote all the time because we're good biblical scholars and we believe that God is in control. And when something tragic happens around us and we look to put a face on it, make it make sense and it doesn't, we quote this verse, Romans 8, 28. Do you know this verse? Here it goes. We know that for those who Love God, that's good disciples of God. That's those who follow Jesus Christ. For those who love God, what's the next word, church? All things work together for good. To those who are called according to their five-year plans. To those who see their 10-year plans work out. To those who have, love it when a plan comes together. No, for those who are called according to whose purpose, church? Church. And that's the thing, it's God's purpose. When we follow God and we love him and we give our lives to him and we surrender to him, there's a whole new life that opens for us and typically it's not what we have planned almost every day, our version of what the future will bring will change. And the question is, do you see life happening to you or do you want to be a part of what God is already doing around you? All things work together for good. Here's real hope. There's nothing about your life that's a mistake. It doesn't mean that everything in your life was rosy. It doesn't mean that every sin that has affected you, it doesn't mean that every person that has disappointed you wasn't wrong or hurtful or, 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 or that they were following their own selfish desires. It doesn't mean that you've been given a silver platter. It simply means this. Nothing has happened in your life or my life that God can't redeem or plans to redeem so that you can be used for incredible ways in his kingdom. God can redeem even the worst of broken lives. And that's why we quote this verse. If you love God, God has a purpose for your life. That's real hope. So let's talk about God's plans. How do we know God's plans? Look in your Bibles in Matthew 1 and verse 20. God will constantly affirm in us what God is doing through us. Look at this in uh, Matthew 1 and verse 20. But as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. I love that. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel confirms what Mary has already said to him. But before anything is said, what's the first thing the angel says to Joseph? Do not be afraid. You see, because when life happens and it doesn't look like what we had planned, and God unwraps something for us and it looks like something we had never thought would happen to us, the first words that always comes out are, listen, don't be afraid. Do you know how many times Jesus said this to his disciples? His disciples should have known better. They were with Jesus. And yet over and over, Jesus constantly says, don't be afraid. Everything is happening according to plan." God progressively clarifies for us what God is doing in us. And for us and for Joseph, God constantly affirms for us what he's doing through us and around us in his word. Everything Joseph needed to know, did you know everything was already written down in Scripture for him? He just didn't know it. He knew the verses. He just didn't know they applied to him. Look in your Bibles, verse 22. Matthew one twenty two, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Although Joseph did not understand this verse at the time, he knew it. He was a good Jewish guy. He knew this verse. It's out of Isaiah, but it was written 400 years earlier. How could he know that was referring to him? And it was. This was a passage that was written 400 years earlier, but had Joseph's name all over it. He may not have understood it at the time, but it was written in God's word. Do you want to know how extravagantly God did this work in Joseph's life? In the Bible, the Messiah was supposed to come from Nazareth and from Bethlehem. How in the world could the Messiah come from Nazareth, which is in Galilee, to, and Bethlehem? How was that going to happen? Now, If I were to ask you where Joseph was from, do you know where Joseph lived? Did he live in Nazareth or Bethlehem? He lived in Nazareth, he lived in Galilee. He did not live in Bethlehem. So the question is, now his wife is pregnant and Joseph is living in Nazareth and the Old Testament says that the birth of Jesus Christ would take place in Bethlehem. How in the world was Joseph gonna get married down to Bethlehem to have this birth? Just to show it to you, let me let me take you to a passage of scripture. The passage written hundred years earlier, Micah five two. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the nations, the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Can I just tell you how small Bethlehem was? It wasn't even on the map. When the Bible ends in the Old Testament, Nehemiah has just built the wall, and we have this this uh, hundreds of years period before the Old Testament stops and the New Testament begins. During, at the end of the Old Testament, during this time... Nehemiah takes a census of all the nations and all of the clans of Judah. He wants to know where everybody is. And so he writes them all down. And if you read it in Nehemiah chapter 11, Bethlehem is not even listed. You want to know why? It was teeny tiny small little town nobody even knew it was on the map. Have you ever gone through one of these teeny tiny towns around here? Have you ever like driven from point A to point B and you went through this little town and it was like, don't blink or you'll miss it. You ever see those little towns? They're so small. They got like, there's no post office. There's, there's a garage and everybody tells you to turn where you see the cows, right? It just It's such a small town. There's one stoplight. Bethlehem wasn't even that. It was so small, nobody even knew it existed. And yet, Micah prophesies that the birth, of Jesus, the birth of the Messiah would take place in Bethlehem. So how in the world is the Messiah going to come from Nazareth and be born in Bethlehem? How is that going to happen? Well, what in the world would force Joseph to make a nine-month-old, <laughs> I hate saying it that way, a 9 month woman, Go on a hundred mile journey, and it wasn't in a car. It was most likely walking the whole way. What would force him to do that so that prophecy could be fulfilled? Well, you already know this because you've been to 110 million uh, Christmas concerts. It's easy. In Luke 2:1, you know these verses. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so all went to be registered, each one to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. God's plans included a pagan nation and a pagan ruler that didn't give two cents to God for anything, didn't care about the true God, to declare a census that would force Joseph to take his 9-month-old wife on a 100-mile walk all the way down to Bethlehem so that when they got there the next verse is Luke 1 verse or 2 verse 6 and while they were there the time came for her to give birth surprise who's in complete control I can't imagine how much Mary must have moaned about the fact that she had to walk almost 100 miles, nine months pregnant. I can't imagine how much Joseph must have cursed Quirinius for coming up with this brilliant idea at Christmas time that, that he would take up this, uh, this census. I can't imagine how much these guys would have been disappointed because all of this is happening to them, but in reality, everything was happening according to God's plan. You can't plan this stuff out. But you can find reason to hope in God because He's a God of the particulars, He's a God of the details. You might be surprised, and I might be surprised, but you cannot ever fall into a place where God is surprised. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken of by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. I wonder how many times Joseph read that and never realized he would be the first one to fulfill that term, they. He was the they that they were speaking of. He was the first one to call his name Emmanuel. Written hundreds of years earlier, all according to God's plan. So Craig, if God is in that much control, if God is a God of particulars, what part do I play? Well, I play the same part that Joseph plays, and that is, I do as God commands. Look at your next verse in verse 24. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not. Anyone surprised? But he knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph did what Joseph had a habit of doing. He obeyed what God asked him to do. He lived up to his character. Total surrender. He took Mary for his wife. He withstood the derision of others who would not believe his story. He loved Mary no matter how much people made fun of her, and he remained pure with Mary until their wedding day no matter how many people didn't believe him. When I live a faithful life to the glory of God, that means total surrender. When I do that, I can be effective for God in anything that God asks me to do because I understand that it is He that is doing a greater work and I'm being called to be a part of it. Think of what Joseph had to give up as his plans for his future. For 30 to 35 years, maybe even more, but we're guessing he was probably 30 to 35, somewhere in there. He had built a reputation that was honorable. Everybody knew him in his, in his society. Everybody knew him in, in, the, in the culture around him. They knew him by name. He had, he had invested an enormous amount of time living up to the kind of reputation that all of us would wanna have. He was an honorable man, and now God is asking him to do something he cannot understand. He would be ridiculed for life. I mean, who seriously is going to believe this story? You giggled, when I, and you've heard it before already, right? We're on the other side of Jesus Christ, and it still comes to us as something that is completely crazy. A woman that is impregnated, and there was no physical relationship with somebody else? He would be spoken of in dark circles as a man who could not control himself. And in the end, he would fade off into history, and nobody would ever know what happened to him. How many of you know what happened to Joseph. Nobody, because we're never told. Joseph fades off into history quietly and silently, and nobody ever knows what happened to him. You know more about Mary than you know about Joseph. All we know is that he likely died while Jesus was growing up, and here's how we know that. When Jesus died on the cross, he gave the care of his mother not to his father, but as the eldest son, he was already caring for his mother, and he gave care of his mother to his disciple John. Joseph was likely gone at that point, but none of us ever knows what happened to him. Joseph would be derided from this point forward, maybe even mocked and scorned, and he would fade off into history and nobody would ever hear of him, but here's what I want you to get. This is what happens because of a surrendered heart. Look at what Joseph got when he unwrapped this present and he didn't get it, he didn't understand it, but God asked him to do it and he surrendered to what God asked him to do. He unwraps this gift and look what he gets in return. He gets to hold the Christ child on his lap. He gets to burp Jesus. He gets to raise a child to understand how to, a young man, how to treat a young lady. He got to treat Jesus like his own son and take him where he wanted to take him and train him the way that he wanted to train him. He got to teach him how to use his hands as a carpenter or or masonry tools with his hands. He got to teach him how to be the kind of man that would live out an honorable life and how to treat adults in society. He got to train him how to live out values of an upstanding life. He got to train Jesus how to be a man. And he got to go on a walk with Jesus anytime he wanted to. He got to raise Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as his own son. So let me ask you, do you think think Joseph was disappointed with God's plan? Or do you you think he received an even better hope than he could have ever dreamed of on his own? How does the story apply to us? Well, if you look in your Bibles where we started reading in Matthew 1 and verse 18, the whole thing starts with this phrase. Now the birth of Jesus Christ happened this way. And then the rest of the story says nothing about the birth of Jesus Christ. We're not told any details about how the birth of Jesus Christ happened. We even don't really know what the manger looked like. We just know it's something that animals ate out of. But you know what we are told? Listen, if somebody handed me a paper and I was an English teacher and they started off with the line, okay, this is what the birth of Jesus Christ was about, and they never told me what the birth of Jesus Christ was about, I'd hand it back to them and say, you've got to give me something a little better as first line here, because that's not what your story's about. But the Bible tells us that because the Bible wants us to know the birth of Jesus Christ was not about the details of Jesus' birth. The birth of Jesus Christ was about the shepherds. It was about the wise men. It was about the angels in the field. It was about, it was about Mary, and it was about Joseph, and it's about you, and it's about me. It's not a about how Jesus came to us, although that is spectacular, and miraculous, and key to our salvation. But the real question is, how does the birth of Jesus Christ impact you? How did the birth of Jesus Christ impact the shepherds and the wise men and, the, and the, the parents, the earthly parents of Jesus? How does the birth of Jesus Christ impact you today? The birth of Jesus Christ is about us. How will we respond to the fact that God is with us? How will we respond to the fact that they called him Jesus because he would save us from our sins? How will we respond to the fact that God put Joseph here, Mary here, Wiseman here, shepherds here, and us here for a specific purpose that he asks us to take part in? It may not look like what we have planned, but it could be a whole lot better, and it likely will be. We make our own plans and our own expectations for our lives. But when we surrender those, every time when God puts a present in front of us and we unwrap it and we say, I didn't see that coming, the first words that should come across our minds are, fear not. This is better. And this is why sometimes hope surprises us. Because it may not be what we hoped for, but it's exactly what God has for us a year ago i would have never imagined i would be standing here talking to you in fact michael and i started talking about a year ago this time when he started badgering me about planning a church and i said to him dude i am too old i don't have this i don't have the wiring for it my dna's falling apart i'm old look look at me i'm old and i that's a younger man's job. It's a younger man's gig. I'm, I'm not, I'm more, I know what, how I am as a pastor. I, I love being a pastor. I love doing what I'm doing. I'm, I'm not that. And, and, and he continued to badger me and, and thought he was the Holy Spirit. And <laughs> in reality, he was challenging me. And we've developed a wonderful relationship where I've, I've come to appreciate that drive in Michael to see what might be. So I started praying about it started looking for open doors. I sought out godly counsel. I had just come through a very tough time in my life, one of the hardest times in my life as a pastor and as a father. And I had listened uh, to God and tried to follow him as best I could. Every door he gave me to serve him, I would walk through. I tried to be obedient, tried to be honorable in the way that I behaved. And a year later, I'm standing in front of you, planning on, planning a new, brand new church. I'm working with a group of people that are ridiculously excited, that have given up so much because they see the vision of what could be. We see what God can do with the kingdom if we expand what God is doing here at Village Church of Bartlett. And at this point of time, I'm pretty pumped about it too. What I opened wasn't anything what I thought it would be. And if I were to let you close this service today, you would come up with your own illustrations of how many times you opened something and it wasn't anything what you thought it would be, but it was a lot better than you could have hoped for. That's a story of Joseph. That's the story of the wise men, that's the story of the shepherds, and that's a story for us. Don't be too surprised if what you hope for doesn't work out quite the way that you think it will. It rarely does. God may have plans to surprise you. And be ready, because whenever it happens it's probably better than you could have hoped for. Let's pray. So Lord, we come to the end of this message having looked at the story of Joseph and been reminded that when we make plans, you sometimes and usually intervene to tweak them, change them even, or even move us in different directions. Help us not to fear. Help us to surrender. And help us to be excited about what you can do with us, in us, and through us to build your kingdom. It can only happen when we understand life is about you and not about us. And so, Lord, I pray that that message has been loud and clear. And if there's anyone here this morning that is wondering what in the world is happening in their lives, may this message have landed softly, gently, but powerfully on their hearts. And may your Holy Spirit apply it as it needs to be applied so that we can each walk out of here knowing that you work together all things for good to those who love you because we're called according to your purpose. This is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen.